1: Uh, Chris C says ensuring your PC is a must. I highly recommend it. Yes, no doubt about that. He also likes baseball card collector, investor, dealer. Chris Sewell, uh, definitely the go-to content right there. If you're not following this guy, you need to. He is he is great, super nice guy. Been on been on Sports Cards Live a couple times with me. Really great guy. Chris all goes on to say anonymous or fake accounts have been around for many years. Shield bidding, especially these accounts, are hand in hand with yeah, probably. And Jeremy Fowl Fireball says, "I think Jeremy Lee only knows what I look like, but I don't sell. I do know what you look like because we met, and I know you don't sell." Fowl Fireball Hobby Champs, yeah, Hobby Champs is one that I don't know who he is, but communicate with, and uh, but you know, if your har- Hobby Champs to me is is harmless, so I don't, you know, don't need to know who, who he is until you start causing trouble. That's uh, maybe you do cause trouble, and I just don't know it. And Bob. Bob Boozle wants you to reveal yourself. All right, let's let's go on to the next thing. Too much of a good thing. This was another topic that that interested you. I'd like you to uh, take a moment and just talk about what you mean when you say too much of a good thing.
0: Yeah, there's an article that I put together um, in an episode that I did uh, for Hobby News Daily, and what the the concept behind behind this was. I was in my card closet and I was looking for something that was a part of my PC, but it took me like literally an hour to look through the boxes and binders that I had in there to find it. And there was a part of me that said, there's, I like all of these cards, but there might be too much of a good thing. If I can't find what I'm looking, looking for, you know, how can I appreciate it if I can't even find it? And so I started to go through a process of consolidation a little bit, um, going through that that closet and said, do I really still appreciate this? Do I still really value this? Or are there things that I can do to, to maybe thin things down a little bit and and have a, a more consolidated co- uh, collection of things that I appreciate? And it's not, when, when some people talk about consolidation, they're talking about going down to 40 or 50 cards or something like that, or a single two row box. I'm still talking about tens of thousands of cards that I want to have as, as a part of my PC, but there were things like multiple complete sets of, of, you know, multiple copies of a, of a set from the eighties or the nineties. And it's like, I probably only need one of these. Right. And so I was able to thin down dozens of, of sets that were kind of duplicate sets that I had. Um, Same thing with some of the singles that I had multiple copies of some singles, I had some sealed wax that I didn't really need anymore. And then I still had bulk. You know, there were there were a lot of cards from my youth that were extras and doubles and triples and um, junk wax era type things that I had multiple monster boxes going on. And, and I really didn't need them, right? So I was able to thin things down to, uh, to be able to find the things that I'm looking for in my PC. And so, yeah, it was kind of this idea of, hey, I love these cards and I love cards, but it's sometimes possible to have too much of a good thing.
1: I think that's a really good bit of advice. I I'm I take it seriously. I think a lot of people, I think it's probably resonating with people because you know you have your collection, and I know personally, I don't go through it right I don't make sure I see I, I set eyes on every card in my collection every month or every couple months. So and it can your collection collections can get out of hand. So if you can't even find the card that you want to look at to enjoy owning it. Maybe that is too much of a good thing, and then it comes down to what is right for each person. It, you know, it's like I always say: you know, whatever significant money is to you, you got to consider the investment potential or the return. I same thing goes with this. Whatever is the right amount of cards for you that you can keep a mental, uh, just control over. You know, maybe for you it's twenty thousand. Maybe for the two row box guys, it's a hundred, and for me, it's in that two thousand range. That's literally my range. And I'm comfortable with that, and I kind of know where everything is. I think I think organizational skills also come into play here too, right? It, it depends how well organized you are, but once you get too many cards, and then there's the Chicago Cubs guy who's trying to get to a million Chicago Cubs card, a million. Think about that. Like, how do you even keep those organized? I think that's great. That's a great episode. People should go back and listen to if they haven't yet on on the Waxback Hero podcast and uh, get some some thoughts on get, get some additional context on that um let's do some quick comments here and then go to the next topic if that's okay with you mike yeah you. Um, bet. hobby champ says just google a young george clooney then you'll at least know what i look like uh very good tip of the mitt says hello my name is jim and i have too many sports cards i'm committed to working on it this year thank you welcome tip of the mitt thank you for sharing appreciate that um okay let's go to the next let's go to the next topic that i have on here which is contrasting headlines we hear a lot. the hobby, The hobby is dead. People love to put that on their YouTube thumbnails. The, the hobby is dead. The hobby is dying, crash. All all these things. And but then you you see people. Long live the hobby. The hobby is alive. The hobby is healthy. Good vibes. Good energy. How do you, Mike, reconcile these two? We call them headlines. I think there there's so much narratives. How do you reconcile these two contrasting
0: thoughts? from your position in the hobby. It all comes down to perspective, right? You know, when we, when we hear these comments or when it seems like when I hear people saying these comments, they're doing it from a certain bias or a certain perspective. Right. And so, you know, you, if you look at the early 2022, to what we saw in middle of 2023, it looked like the sky is falling, right? Every index on card ladder was down. You know, prices were, were crashing. Everything was was going haywire and, and going terrible. But that's if you only look at it with that, that short little window, you know, that year and a half window or whatever. If you step back, we saw a much different story, right? Things were down off their peak, but they're still up from where they were in 2014, 15 and 16. And things look a, a whole lot healthier from that perspective. And then if you also think about the number of transactions that were happening, the number of people that were out buying and selling cards, the number of, of people that were still buying and the number of cards being sold were still steady and they were and they were also higher, right? And so they were higher from 2015, 16. There was still about the same number of cards being sold from the peak of 2020. It's just that they were at more reasonable and more normal prices, right? And so that tells me that the hobby is healthy and that the hobby was healthy um, at that time. And then when you think about the number of things that are the, the number of more, the more shows that we have now compared to what we had back then, we have even more cards being bought and sold in person at those types of, of functions and events. We had the national set all time record attendance last year. And so I think it all comes down to to perspective on whether the hobby is is alive and well or whether you're going to view it as as the hobby is dying, and and that was what really what I was kind of trying to do with that article is kind of say take a step back and think about this from a big picture. You know, we have more people collecting today than we ever have before. Prices are more reasonable, which is probably healthy for everybody. Um, the hobby is is not dying. It's it's alive and well. Um, Yes, there are things that could be better. Yes, there are things that um, are well off their peaks. And yes, there are people that have lost money because of that, if, if they were new entrants and bought at the top. Um, but overall, um, the, the hobby interest is is still there.
1: For sure. That, that's my sentiment as well. You mentioned the the record-breaking national. I also just want to add the, the record-breaking Toronto Expo in November was unbelievable and that show is now growing they're now they have now brought on two montreal shows to their circuit and a quebec city show so the the toronto sport card expo has grown from two shows a year both in toronto to now six total a year also the one in edmonton that's once a year so that's a sign of growth and of health to me but i wanted to get your perspective on that and i appreciate that the next one i want to get into is uh and this is one i think you i think this is one you if you're not you should be really proud of this one i think people should listen to this which are five things that you learned from running your lcs and i'd like to kind of play along with you on this one because i had an lcs myself for about the same for about three and a half years about the same duration as you did but mine was 30 years earlier from Mm -hmm. 91 till about 93 94 uh i forget the exact months and all that but uh, you know 30 years ago. So I want to hear what you learned and I'm going to kind of respond with, did I learn the same thing if I can even remember, but this will be fun for me. So can you take us through the five thing, the five key things you learned from run, running an LCS?
0: Yeah. So, so let me start with setting a little bit of context, you know, when we when we talk about that, right? Because um, yes, I, I ran an LCS, it was part-time, but it was definitely a unique setup, right? So I had essentially a shop within a shop set up. We have a larger LCS in town that had expanded their square footage. They weren't filling the entire square footage, um, but the way that it was set up with the, the business or the former business that was in this space that they expanded, there was kind of this sectioned off part of the, the store. And so ended up working on a deal where I basically subleased or rented that space from the main LCS and ran my own kind of independent shop within a shop setup. And so doing that, I didn't have to cover full overhead. I didn't have to cover full utilities. I didn't have to have my own full retail lease or anything like that. We were able to kind of work it out um, in a little bit of a unique setup. Now, I still have my my nine to five job. And so I was only open on Saturday and Sundays um, when when we did this. And so I was running it part time, a couple days a week that I was in there. And that's that's the general structure that we had it. But in that three and a half years, still being independent, there were things that I had to do and there were lessons that I feel like like I learned. Um, and so, I, you know, and if you want to go back and forth, we kind of see what your perspective is on some of these. But the first thing that I talked about that was probably the number one thing that I learned um, was customer service and learning this idea that every customer who walked in the door was Different, right? You know, some are very proactive in what they want, some just want to stay by themselves and look. Some were very chatty and were there for hours. And other people just want to be left alone. You know, is there their time to get out of the house for an hour or, or two and they just wanted to, to go through a box of cards. Um, but what I had to do is figure out what those customers were looking for. How can I best meet those needs? And it it took it took a little bit to be able to develop that that skill.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because what, what I'm hearing is a, a general life skill, not not just not just a sports card store, you know, manager kind of role or or owner role, run understanding what your customer wants. I mean, it's a business skill, but it's also a life skill to know your audience, right? And to be able to, you know, some it's like when you get into a taxi or an Uber. Sometimes I'm in the mood to talk, sometimes I don't want to, and I kind of hope that the driver can pick up on which which mood i'm in at that time. and i think that's what you're getting at is simply being observant and sensitive to to the customer and then also being able to, you know, provide them what they want, the service they want. so did i learn that back in the 90s? probably not. i was a young punk running a card shop back then, so i don't think that i was i was that smart and uh and and just on it the way the way that you are. so let's go to the next one.
0: Yeah. As you say, it makes such a big difference, right? You, you, you hear those stereotypes or you've been to shows, right? Where the guy's just sitting there and doesn't say a word, right? Or Mm -hmm. if it gives you the the feeling like they just want you out of there, right? There's, there's such a big difference to that. So um, yeah, it is a life skill, but it does make such a big difference when you're trying to to run a a people centric business, like a, a card shop, right? Um, negotiation is probably one of the other skills that, that I was able to refine, um, whether it's on the buying side or the selling side, having that ability to negotiate prices that work both for you, that work for both you and the customer is something that was super important. And I feel like, um, while I still have a ways to go in some of those conversations, I don't know that I'm the expert, uh, negotiator when it comes to cards, I feel like I definitely grew over that three and a half years when it comes to negotiation. Yeah. I mean,
1: another life skill and, you know, whether it's, you know, salary negotiation or buying a car or buying sports cards at the card show negotiation. It's also like, I guess it's a skill, but it's also fun, you know, and not everyone wants to negotiate. You know, you mentioned, some, some card shops, you walk in and they don't even say hello to you. That's goes for some businesses. You can have, if you are a, someone who sets up at a card show amongst other vendors and you are not one of those people who sits there with their eyes on their phone or the newspaper look, you're like, if, you know, with back when that one and someone to come to your table, if you don't even look up or say anything, it's, it's, it's kind of awkward. Like I will go to a card show and I will go from booth to booth and there will be people sitting behind the table, and they see me. And sometimes, sometimes they will actually perk up. Sometimes they will say hi. Sometimes they will stand up and say hi and greet and greet me or whoever. Sometimes they do the complete opposite. They just don't want to. It's like you're inconveniencing them. I don't understand what you're doing with the card show selling. So there's, I think it's like you're talking about negotiating, but it's also having a a presence and just being like this is, this should be social. This is a fun, it's a, you know, there's a comment in the, that came through. Uh, and it's right here from Michael. He says, if you're a hobbyist in the truest sense of the word, your hobby will never die because it's just a hobby. I take it to the next level. It's a lifestyle. The hobby is, is life for me. So, uh, you know, it's like, if I want to enjoy my life and I want to enjoy other people in my life, most of that is, is the hobby. I, I better be willing to talk to people. So any, any response? And then let's hear number three.
0: Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think that's dead on. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason that we do this, right? There is personal enjoyment and satisfaction, but the people is, is such a big reason that this can be so fun. The community that we can, we can develop the relationship, um, the
1: friendships yeah, relationships
0: are huge. And, and that's why
1: going to shows is so important because we take these virtual relationships and friendships into the real world, into yep. real life. And we can actually have a meal together, walk the aisles of the card show together, uh, get a feel. Yeah. I, I, I love, I love the community. I love, I love it. Sorry. Please continue.
0: Oh no, that's yeah. That, that's, that's it. The The next thing that I think that I learned or that I had to to, to do is I had to get more creative when it comes to, um, acquiring inventory and I had to be more resourceful when, when it comes to, um, acquiring new inventory. I was a little spoiled when I got started, right? I, I bought out a, a previous shop that was doing this same thing. And when I bought them out to get started with the shop, I, along with that came, a, uh, probably over a million cards of inventory, right? There were a few hundred thousand that were already out for sale, kind of turned the, turn the key. And I was, I was ready to go but there was about a million cards of back inventory that was just sitting in boxes in the guy's garage and, and at the shop um, in the back storage room. And so for the first year and a half or so, I didn't have to be very proactive to get new inventory. Like every weekend I would just go grab a couple, three rows that were sitting in the back and, and I would start going through them and have new cards to be putting out in, in the cases and in the boxes. But after about a year and a half, that i got through all of that and it started to dry up and i was like all right now what right i've got a few people that are are proactively bringing me collections in to take a look at and to buy but i needed to have a more consistent and steady steady stream and so i started to proactively reach out to some of the other um, dealers show dealers shops and things like that in our area to, to see about working out any kind of bulk deals that they were were needing um, I put the word out with family and friends and, you know, the, the customers that were coming in to say, make sure they recognized and knew that I was always buying. I was always interested. I had to be much more assertive in trying to find new inventory to, to come in. And um, and it took uh, that's another thing that it took uh, some different approaches to try to find and try to to make those connections um, to identify inventory and collections to buy. I have a
1: question about about that. So you're letting your 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 social circles know that you're in the card business. You're a buyer. Do you have you ever bought something that you didn't want to buy in order to prove that you're prove to your community that this is what you're doing, like you know, junk, like you know a, a a load of junk wax era commons type of thing. Have you ever bought something like that, not wanting to, but again to prove to the community and maybe to try to get the better stuff later from that same person could be another reason why you did it
0: yeah uh, absolutely yeah there's there's definitely been deals that i i took advantage of I, i shouldn't say that way i went through and bought with the hope that there would be future deals that that came down later right you know whether it's from this is the stuff that i'm looking to sell now i might be interested in moving these other cards later you know let's let's start with this or, um, you know, and I know that because of some of those things, um, it led to, yeah, my brother mentioned that he sold you some cards. And so I had some stuff. And so I, I, I brought mine in and that guy's stuff was, was way better. Right. Or, you know, it was going to be a way better purchase for me. Um, but that was one of the other things that being that I dealt with so many low end cards, um, I could find a use for most of, of that stuff. Right. So yeah, there's some junk wax era collections that, that really were tough to get through, but even junk wax era stars and things I would put in my quarter boxes and um, still can, can get a little bit of value out of. So I, I actually, you know, as long as they weren't wanting ridiculous prices for them, I could still make use for a lot of that stuff.
1: Right. I think that's a great, great bit of a, Advice or one of the key things you learned was how to get creative to acquire inventory. Back in the early '90s, when I had my shop, there wasn't the challenge; didn't exist because people brought stuff in all the time. Because back in the early '90s, literally everybody was into into sports cards. You know, if you if you had a if you had a sign outside your LCS and you maybe had a curb sign or something like that, people came in. People were were looking aggressively. It was different back then than now. So. I can't really say that I had to get too creative back then. The cards just came into the store. You didn't have to really look elsewhere. Okay, I think that was the third thing that you
0: learned. What was the next one? The next one was getting good at identifying the right channel for the right cards when it comes to the ability to sell them, right? And so we talked a little bit about this with the online sales of Sportlots, C, and eBay being the right channel. In the shop, I had a ton of quarter boxes. And I had found customers who loved just buying a large amount of King Griffey juniors or Jose Canseco's or Ryan Sandberg's or whoever it is. And they would fill up boxes and boxes of, of these quarter box cards that I had. Right. So I knew that I had a market for these low end star base cards, right? Over time, I eventually was able to also identify a few key customers who love to buy bulk and they didn't care if it was junk wax commons. They just loved going through mountains and mountains of cards. And so I knew that it, I may not get much for it, but I'd have an outlet even for these 30 or 40, 50,000 card collections of all junk wax era stuff. I, and so identifying the right channel for the right person who I could go to when I got a certain type of card in. Or if I'm evaluating a collection and trying to come up with a price, seeing if there's going to be value for me when I w- was going to make an offer on this collection, knowing that I've got these different channels allowed me to get a lot more collections that other people would have just completely passed on because they didn't have a way to sell a 25 cent Jose Conseco card. And I knew that I did. Um, they didn't have a way to sell a partial set of some Allen and Ginter set when I knew that I could list that on sport lots and it's already mostly a number order and it's going to go really quick. I I've got an avenue to be able to sell that those were, those were foundational and letting me get some more inventory that other people would have just completely passed on.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. I have nothing from the nineties on that one. So let's go to your last, uh, your, your last thing you learned.
0: Yeah. I, I think the last that I would say is I learned that I could do it. Um, you know, when I was getting into it, you know, people from day one, uh, there were people that told me, low-end cards aren't worth your time. You're never going to make any money off of doing this type of thing. You're going to get in over your head. You know, there were, there were a lot of, of naysayers. And I mean, there were people that were positive and, and supportive along the way too. But I learned that I could do it. I learned that I could think through some of these issues, I learned that I could navigate some of the the things that you've got to navigate when you're trying to run a business and be profitable and and not have it suck your money away, but actually add money you know back to your life. And so, getting the confidence that I would be able to do this, I was able to identify a, a niche market within our niche market and capitalize and make money selling low end cards. That was really meaningful to me, and it. it um that added to the overall satisfaction that I got from running this shop is, is learning that, yes, I could do this. And yes, I can do this. And um, I can have a lot of fun doing it.
1: That's a good one to learn. So you are having, you had fun doing it. You wrapped up the shop. You are no, you no longer have your LCS. You recently closed that business. Why?
0: Yeah. So there's a, a couple things. I think primarily, um, you know, as I mentioned, I started this in mid 2020, in the midst of COVID, when many things were shut down, right? And so, for the the next three and a half years, until pretty much the end of 2023, I was working my day job Monday through Friday, and I'd spend Saturday and Sunday afternoons at the at the shop. And so, I was essentially working seven days a week. And yes, it was fun, but it was still, you know. Taxing, right? There are still demands that were put on my time to be able to do that seven days a week for three and a half years. Um, and and then as my kids are getting older, there's more and more activities for the kids. There's there's things that that my wife and I want to be able to do. It was kind of like I it was a it was a good run. I had a lot of fun. I made some money at this, but I'd like to kind of get my weekends back and get a little more margin and balance in my life. And so Pivoting back to selling online only instead of having the the physical shop as well um, was a decision that I made, you know, last fall and kind of got things wrapped up so that I'd be able to have a little more margin and um, spend a little more time with the family and not have that weekend commitment every weekend. Is like I said, it was a lot of fun to do for three and a half years and um, I'm I'm glad I was able to do it. But having those weekends back now for these last couple months has been been kind of nice.
1: Yeah. Well, congrats on, on, on doing it, proving you could, seeing it through and making the decision to, to close it up and move on to other things. I think that that takes some guts as well. So kudos to you for evolving in your yeah. hobby experience back in 94 or so. And when, when I closed up my store, it was because I was just busier and busier in university and, you know, building, going for dealing with education and i just yeah. you know study i didn't have time to run the business as well it was, it was really as simple as I, I didn't have i didn't have the internet to to go to there was no internet back then obviously but um that was that, that that was that was that was our reasons for for closing up back then okay let's go to some comments we've had some great stuff come through first of all uh, orlando from a collector's dream has joined the show orlando good to see you Welcome. Brett Miles said, too much of a good thing and what's right for you. Great comments. Took me many years to figure out what really connected me in this hobby. And I know Brett, and uh, Brett's a great hobbyist. Uh, Bob Boozle said, the hobby consists of midichlorians, I think. A microscopic life form that resides within us all. Use the hobby for good. Great advice, Bob Boozle. Use the hobby for good. Good evening to Stukes, who's joined us. Welcome to the show, Stu. Good to see you. Bob Boozle says sports cards are a lifestyle for me and a nightmare for my wife. I wouldn't have it any other way. Good on you, Bob. Best of best of everything to, to the wife. Uh Dan says, My wife sees my card collection as her way to make some quick money after I croak. I mean, right? There's there's value in in a lot of these things. Uh Brett Miles says, Geez, I'm just getting misty-eyed with all the feels, thinking of all the Great aspects of this hobby. The chat boards, great people, monthly shows moments where I picked up great PC items. seems like Brett is reminiscing as he's taking in sports cards live tonight. Uh, He also says this hobby is fantastic. I lean into it for the positives. The negatives is just noise. I filter out. I control my enjoyment in this hobby. The hobby is not controlled the way I enjoy card collecting. I think that's a great attitude and, uh, and it takes something to be able to do that too, Brett. So, kudos to you. And then tip of the mitt says the hobby is so much different now than it was 30 years ago. Better in some ways, worse in others. What are your thoughts? Let's start with you, Mr. Mike Summer. What are your thoughts on tip of the mitt's comment here?
0: Yeah, I I would agree. I think it is better in some ways and and worse than others. I think um, the internet has given us so many more opportunities to find the cards that um, we're looking for, for our, our collection. It's, it's no longer about just what happens to show up at your LCS or at a show, but um, we have so many more opportunities to find the cards we're looking for that, that we didn't necessarily have 30 years ago. And that same, same perspective, I think when we talked about the, the whole idea of a hobby community and friendships and relationships that the internet has given us that opportunity as well, you know, the, all of the people that you've had on your show that I've had on my show us having this conversation right now and and having an interaction and a chat with everybody that's watching, that wasn't possible, you know, that much, that much longer ago. Along those same lines, though, I think it's, it's also um, on the flip side, there's been, you know, additional scamming opportunities that have, that have come up that we have to all be more diligent and vigilant um, and, and aware of. And I think that is, is one of those, those flip sides, but Um, Overall, from my perspective, I think, um, you know, things are much more positive than they were before. I'd say the other thing is, and I know that this is a, some people have have different perspectives on this, but I think one of the things that is worse than 30 years ago is, personally, I liked when we had multiple manufacturers making cards for multiple sports, and we had a lot more competition Um, when it comes to the cards that we were buying. And so I I wish that we were back in that world where we had multiple manufacturers making cards. Um, And so that'd be one more thing that I'd say maybe, you know, I wish was a little bit different or more like it was back then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I think, you know, the, the biggest impact on change in the hobby has been the internet, the whole global economy thing. Tip of the mitt says right here, first thing on my mind was the internet as well. And what it what I I think here's a way to kind of bring it all back in, in, in one succinct sort of thought, at least for me, is back then a print run of ten thousand was very very rare. O- only ten thousand Stanley Cup holograms were produced, or only ten thousand. Uh, what I forget the baseball insert, the Real Night Elite Donruss yeah. Elite or yep. something like that. Yep. Only ten thousand oh my God, I got to hit one of those. You know, the Lombardi trophy that came out in pro set football. What was that number two? 20,000 or 10 or 20,000? Like that was that was rare. Nowadays, one of ones, not so hard to find the one-on-one one you're looking for with the reach that we have. So to me, 10,000 was really rare. And now a card out of 10 is not all that hard to find. I think that that kind of sums up where, a, a lot about where the hobby has has gone. Uh, Any response to that, Mike? Before I move on,
0: no, I I think you're right. I mean, it's that's the uh, the production levels are are not necessarily what I want to go back to when I talk about multiple manufacturers. Um, But at the same time, um, you know, I I think there is something to that. You know, where where what was once rare is is would be laughed at now when we think about it being rare.
1: It's like if if they there are people. Who have said, you know, in my chat and elsewhere, that they need to hand, not hand, they need to serially number everything now. Well, if they serially numbered base cards, tops, baseball, Upper Deck, hockey, Prism, basketball, whatever, I mean, these are going to be in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands. It might do more damage than good for base cards. Maybe the maybe the the request should be, you know, serially number everything except for the mass produced base cards, any parallel, any insert number those I'd be, I'd be more okay with that. Uh, But yeah, it's uh, it it is the volumes back then were completely obscene, but not only that, when I'm talking about 10,000 being rare and hard to find, not just because they were needle in the haystack to pull, but also because you were limited for the most part to your regional card shops and card shows. There weren't even trade nights back then. So at least none that I was aware of. So yeah, really, uh, it, the, the hobby has changed so much, but the world has changed. I think it's, it's all it's all related to that. Um, okay, let's do some comments here again. Uh, Dan's Vintage says, Mike has gained a ton of respect in the hobby for how he has carried himself and communicated about his experiences. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a, a bad thing about you, Mike. You're, you're just a, a very pleasant guy to, to talk to and interact with. So uh, thank you for coming on tonight with me. As well. Brett Miles says online buying 100% changed my approach to what was possible in this hobby. Ebaying since 2000, gained many, many PC items because of it. Of course, Bob Boozle is a fan of competition. I think think most of us are for the most part, really, for the most part. So I think we'd all like that. Mark Santucci takes the contrarian view and says YouTube, not eBay for me. I like the stores. Mark likes the in person experience. And I think that's a, that's a, a noble a noble thing to, to like tip them and says, yes, those were low numbers, 10,000, 5,000 back in the day. Those were low numbers back then. And Brad says a print run of one ninety-nine puts me in a, let's just be patient mode. Yeah. Back then it was like, Oh my God, I'll never find a card. Only 199 made. And now it's like, I can wait, I can wait for the 30th copy to come and see what happens then. All right. I wanted to uh, go on to this now with you, Mike, Uh, your thoughts on content in general content that's out there um and i don't want to i, I want to tee this one up for you but I, I there's something specific i want you to talk about uh do you know what i'm getting at when it comes i i think maybe gary v, let me let me gary v you you mentioned to me in our conversation earlier this week something about gary v can you share what that was about
0: yeah so so i think I was I was listening to one of Gary V's podcasts and and he said something in it that resonated with me because I think I had been it had been bouncing around in my head in a slightly different way and and it kind of put words to what I had been thinking about and it was this idea that um, that when we're creating content and we're trying to share our experiences and maybe we're trying to help educate others on. Um, some things that they might want to think about when they're you know, working in the hobby or dealing in the hobby or buying cards or looking for cards. There's this, this whole idea that I don't necessarily have to convince anyone that I'm right. It's, it's not my job to convince somebody that I'm right all the time. It's my job to share my experience, to share my knowledge, share things that I know are true. That have that have worked for me, and if somebody finds value in that, great. That's what that's that's the person that I'm trying to to reach, or that's the person that I'm trying to connect with. It's not my job to convince the naysayers or the people that argue with me uh, about it, you know, and and tell me that I'm way off base, and you know, all of those types of things. And I think for a long time, there were times where I would get a little bit been out of shape or I'd be, you know, disappointed, or I don't know the the right word for it when I would get some of that pushback because I felt like, why can't they just see, see what I'm trying to say here? Why can't they just see what, what I'm trying to share? And, um, and eventually it kind of, that kind of clicked. It's like, you know what, that's not my job. It's not my job to convince them. Um, it's just my job to share my experience and to do what I can to help educate.
1: I think that I think that's a that's a real that's a, a wonderful self-realization to, to come to and because it takes so much pressure off you and so much expectation comes off. And I'm going to I'm going to, you know, as I go to bed tonight, as I'm falling asleep, I'm gonna try and kind of do a bit of a self audit on a lot of what I've talked about on this platform for almost four years and kind of see about am i trying to convince people of things or am i just doing what you're doing and i'm going to try to be more like you if i haven't been yet because of that cuz i think it'll make my life easier and i think it'll be uh better for the audience i think it'll just be more authentic and there's no there's no pressure it's like it's like a lot of some people say Agr- agreement is not we don't need to agree on things but at least hear me out and then the other thing is that you don't have to love everything i say you don't have to agree with everything i say but maybe in a, you know, for at least my show, over a two-hour episode, me or my guests are going to say one or two things that maybe you have a take. It could be an hour and 58 minutes of absolute nonsense, just pure entertainment, something to do because you're, you're bored, and maybe two minutes of worthy content that you get, you have a key takeaway as the viewer. That's kind of, to me, is good enough. I'm good enough if you get one or two good you know, maybe one or two good takeaways a month, even it doesn't have to be every episode, something, nothing wrong with being entertaining, but I'm going to think about that for myself and try to strive to be more like you in that way. Cause I think that's a, I think that's a good evolution for myself to, 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 to go through.
0: Yeah. And it fits in that too, with that idea of we can't be, especially people who are writing a blogger or, or putting out a, a podcast, we can't, and it took me a while to realize this too. We can't be all things to all people right? W- the stuff that we are passionate about, the stuff that we create, there's going to be some people that hate it, right? There's going to be people that think I'm an idiot for for what I'm doing and have no interest in, in doing any of this. And there's going to be people that think you're an idiot and, and you know, that you can't come up with your own, you know, ideas and you haven't got your own original idea in your head, right? You're going to have people that that think that stuff too, right? But it took me a while to get comfortable with I'm not going to be able to be all things, all people. I may never have the biggest social media following or the biggest, you know, podcast audience or whatever. Um, but when I can get that message from somebody that said, hey, I've been listening to what you're doing with sport lots. And last month I made enough to cover my car payment from selling cards on sport lots. Like that is all I needed to hear. Like That's the reason that I'm doing this because somebody who would, would have never thought about doing that. And then are are now in a situation where every month they're making enough selling cards on sport loss that they're covering their car payment um and, and finding value in some of the stuff that i'm sharing that's the reason that i'm i'm doing what i'm doing that hits home and even if it's a a, a handful of people that are doing that um that makes it worth it for me
1: exactly it, exactly that makes it worth it for sure i i go through the same thing you know i'll do i'll do an episode and the next morning I'll wake up and I'll go through, you know, my, my DMs and I'll, someone will say, you know, last night's episode really resonated with me or, or your guest was awesome or whatever it is. It's like that one, that one message is okay. One person found it valuable, useful, interesting, educational, whatever it was, inspirational. That makes it worthwhile, right? That makes it worthwhile for guys like us who 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 do who do this on a regular basis? Let's jump into some some comments. Again, we're gonna go back to the uh, the rare cards, serially numbering. Michael said if they serial number all cards, then serial number cards won't be special. Sort of like multicolor patches. I wonder about that though, uh, because to me, it would I think I think you'd see like uh a big divide you know you, you some cards are going to be better and you know the, the 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 low numbered and then the high number just going to be what they still are i don't know that serial number cards are that special anyway because many many are so i don't know that i completely agree with that comment michael michael goes by linda's first here as, as everybody but his name is michael um i don't know about that and then you say sort of like multicolor patches yeah it the the Diamond. No one. No one really enjoys diamond. I shouldn't say that. I I'm not, I'm not going to say that. that. That that's completely wrong. What I was about to say. So I'm going to check that. Stop and just say that. I think. Um, you when you combine a low serial number with an interesting jersey card or patch, you have something that is a bit more special. Uh, Mike, anything to add to that comment?
0: No, I I kind of get where he's coming from, but I I think you know we're also already at that that point like you said right I, like i think we're already at the point where serial numbered cards aren't as special as they used to be um i wouldn't mind the idea of serial numbering everything just to or it, even if it's not serial numbered under knowing what the real print runs are maybe is is the bigger thing and i think that's what a lot of people are getting at when they're talking about every card being serial numbered is we we want to know the print runs i think for some things like you said it could it could be worse, right? Because we'll know that, yeah, there really are, I don't know, a million of every top's flagship baseball card out there. But I think for some things, if there's a million tops flagship base cards out there, if we knew the print runs or everything was serial numbered, and we found out there was only a 100,000 of every Allen and Ginter card, would we see a more a differentiation in price between a rookie card in Allen and Ginter versus a rookie flagship card because there's only 100,000 of the the base Ginter and a million of the, the flagship. Would it introduce something like that where we could see some additional differentiation for for some of these products? Maybe, I don't know. Um, I'd like to see, but I would like to know the print runs. I wish we did know the print runs for these products.
1: You make a great point on print runs versus serial numbering. That, that, that That's a good layer to add for sure, in my my opinion. Uh, Hobby Champ says they need to at least serial number or short print the base rookie cards. I liked when they did that, and that's a fair request. Chris says a lot of us don't buy the SSP thing. Number them or the SSP designation is too vague. I couldn't agree more with that. I'm not a fan of SP and SSP. If you're going to do that, yeah, I'd rather you just number the cards. Chris Perkins says even though there's 5,000 Stanley Cup hologram cards, they're still very hard to find. They are, but not like you'll find a couple at the card show. You'll find a couple on eBay at any given time. Um, but they are still tough to find. Those were needle in the haystacks for sure. Bob Boozle says, don't do a self audit, Jeremy. Your content is fine. Think of think of babes like I do when I fall asleep. Thanks for the tip, Bob Boozle. Appreciate it very much. The professor has entered the chat. He says, been listening on my iPad. Great discussion. Moved to my computer so I can say hello. Hello to you, professor. Uh, Dan's vintage says, totally agree with Mike, find your lane in the hobby and enjoy it. To which Chris C says, I have a lane, but I can't seem to find the stop sign. I think that's hilarious. Cause I think that is something we all go through. Yeah. I got my lane, but my brakes aren't working. You know, I'm just, I'm just everywhere. So you need to find your lane, but you also need the governor. You need the governor to make sure that you, you're not breaking speed limits somehow. And maybe that, and that, you know, if you don't, you know, maybe that governor is your wife. Maybe that governor is your budget. Whatever it is, um, some of some people need to do that. Or you can get into financial turmoil because this hobby is so much fun. And we we love we love these cards. So uh, Dan says, totally agree with. Oh, sorry, we did that one already. Uh, Brett Miles here said, convincing people versus just being authentic in one's comments is huge. The content I enjoy the most is where people are just honest, passionate, and respectful. Loving that there are new outlets to share for sure. Good stuff. Brett, uh, the card hunter has joined us Has enjoyed the insight and conversation. The journey is often better than the destination. And I mean, that's what life is about right there. That's why I said earlier, Mike, I have, I love those 10, 15, 20 year hobby projects mm-hmm. because that's the journey. I enjoy building, building, building things. And I want it to last forever. It's somewhat, you notice Mike, people will build a set. They'll be advertising they're looking for cards and then they finish it and they break it up they don't care anymore yeah. they which I, i'm not i'm not judging that i've done that too but it's like once the journey is over the destination is kind of a, a bit of a letdown you need another journey we i think we as humans need journeys we need things to look forward to if you don't, mean you know enjoy the present but having something to look forward to is is pretty nice as well wouldn't you say
0: yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that we all have our different hobby projects and or, or the people who um, continue to stay in the hobby and have been in the hobby their whole life. It's because they have found a, a connection and they found value in something that they're passionate about and they want to to pursue and and build on and kind of acquire. Right. And and when you don't have that connection that you're passionate about, um, when you don't have that destination or that focus of the journey that you're you're going to that's when i think we we find ourselves getting into trouble or we find ourselves the, the hobby burnout phrase or terminology it, it's because you know we're in that world where we don't really have a a clear path of where we're headed
1: yeah yeah well said um okay let's let's do this one here uh, dan says dude i have 367 subscribers and i cherish every positive comment The positive feedback is energy, 100%, Dan, 100%. And uh, Dan's Vintage Baseball PC, everybody. Uh, Go give him a sub on YouTube if you haven't yet. He's at 367. We have the power to get him to 400 right here, right now, everybody. Hobby Champs says, uh, Jeremy's content is one of the only few long-form hobby content creators I can get all the way through regularly. Well, thanks, Hobby Champs. That, uh, That is really nice to hear. Dot Jones says serially, sorry, serial numbering is cumbersome and nonsense. I mean, I don't know how cumbersome the machine does it. So it's not that cumbersome for the person doing it. Uh, and nonsense. I don't know. It's kind of, it's not nonsense. Do you, do, I don't, maybe I'm missing the, this, what this, the, 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 you know, the underlying intent of this comment, Mike, do you have, do you have anything to say to that one?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, what he's getting at. I, I think, you know, if anything, maybe it's to that point of serial numbering when they're, you know, large print runs, you know, what value does it really add um, to know that you've got 858,627 out of, you know, a million two, whatever it is, but I, I'm not really entirely sure.
1: All right. Well, we'll see if you want to clarify further, TDOT. Uh webo two. Says knowing the print run is what killed Project Twenty Twenty when the when the Shore Griffey hit ninety thousand. It's an astute comment. I I uh, I don't know personally that that's what killed the Tops Project Twenty Twenty, but I do know that when that card came out, that seemed to be like the peak of of the Tops Project Twenty Twenty, and then it kind of just became. Not what it was for a while there. it kind of kind of died off. So what did you did you take part in tops 2020, Mike? did you collect those cards?
0: Yeah, I did and I still have probably I don't know, I'm probably pushing 200 of the 400 um, that I've got. Um, some of them I bought on the way up when it was rising towards that Shore Griffy and then others um, I've bought since then at less than five dollars each. And so, um, I, you know, I, I was pretty patient on some of that and, and i kind of filling in with some of the ones that I, I liked, but I'm buying them for, you know, a third or whatever of what they were when they were listed on, uh, tops.com.
1: Right. Right. I, I remember that craze. I bought a few off the tops website myself and, uh, kind of wish that I, no, I don't, it, it is what it is, but I don't, I don't think I own a single one anymore. I think I just kind of lost interest and, uh, and uh, liquidated them yep. because they didn't just wasn't interested in it anymore. But uh, but I must say that that whole that whole period of time was a lot of fun because those artists were people, and if you went to the national in I don't I guess the 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 last one before was that the last one before the pandemic where several of them were out of uh, the artists were out at the na I forget which national twenty twenty it was it's the first 20, one back twenty one probably. 21 in chicago right yep. Yep. yeah must have been that one i remember being at some events where some of the artists were actually at the events and you got to meet them and see some of their other art and that was kind of cool and i think I, th- I think they brought some new people into the hobby by virtue that they had their own social media following at that time i don't know how many maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it's only you know five people that that, that stayed in but at least uh, there was more exposure so that that was pretty cool. Guys, let's welcome Brandon Desantis to the show. First timer from Canada. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks for letting us know you're here and uh and yeah, welcome. Welcome to the to the chat on Sports Cards Live here. Mike, we're getting to the we're getting to the finish line here. There's still a few things that we didn't get to, but there's one that I think you was you were passionate about, so we're going to dedicate the next 2 or 3 minutes to it which was really was how can we help new entrants into the hobby how can we help them kind of wade through the noise and figure out how to approach the hobby that that would be the most effective for them share your thoughts with us on that topic please
0: yeah you know as i as i went at the very beginning of our conversation i talked about the inspiration for waxpackhero.com. And one of those first things that I wanted to do is say, Hey, there's so much that had changed from when I collected as a kid to what it was like collecting in 2015. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a way that other people who were returning to the hobby and in a similar situation that I had just gone through would be able to, to figure it out a little bit easier or a little bit quicker. And that's why I started to create that content. And I think we're in this whole nother phase of that, that we've seen Over the last three years or so, right? There's, there's, I talk to people all the time now who have come back to the hobby or getting back into the hobby, or maybe they collected it as a kid, but um, they don't collect anymore. But their kids now are getting to that age, and they remember collecting, but they don't know where to point them because you know this is a completely different world. And so I've been thinking, I don't have the answer for this, but I've been thinking a lot about it: is how do I, how do I create the content? that can help educate these new and returning collectors on some of the history of the hobby, some of the things that we have seen over these last few years that seem like brand new, big like ordeals, things that are happening for the first time that we're never going to be able to overcome it. But how do we help see that? No, this has happened in the past and we were able to overcome it or the community was able to overcome it and, and get past it. We've seen rising and falling prices. We've seen manufacturers come and go. We've seen the the types of cards or prospects or whatever it is um, that people are passionate about um, ebb and flow and, and fall into favor and get out of favor. And I think about how can I help bridge that education gap and help some of these new entrants that we've seen over the last few years get up to speed so that they don't maybe make some of the same mistakes that I made um, in the past or, or whatever. And, um, and it, it kind of gets to, I'm going to do what I can to, to write. I'm going to do what I can to talk about some of these things on the podcast, but I think more voices with a focus on education and less voices focused on buy this card. This is the next hottest card go to this look at me at this show whatever it might be that is um, you know some of the content that we see out there um, that doesn't really do much to educate I feel like if we had more voices trying to educate we'd be all a little bit better off and some of these new entrants coming into the hobby would be um, would be better off in the long run so I feel like I feel like we do have a lot of that but it's
1: just on a they just don't have the the reach the uh, the marketing behind them to reach the people who you're speaking of because i mean there is there is i don't i don't know if lots is the right word but there are content creators out there who are offering their experience you you, you among others their experiences uh, their tips for how to do how to do this or that better in the hobby what kind of supplies to use how to how to What's it take to card shows? You know, we do see these things. I think a lot of content creators do offer it, but maybe they're not the first content creators that a, that a new entrant finds when they go searching on the internet for tips and tricks. So I don't know if the answer, if the, if the solution is, is feasible without having a staff. Think about one of the most notorious content creators, Jeff Wilson and Sports Card Investor. He's literally uh, probably the first content, cre- the first thumbnail you see on YouTube if you're new, and you type in sports cards. I'm guessing that that you know he's gonna be one of the first ones you're gonna see, and but he's got a team. He's got a whole teamwork in there to help with SEO and just really to exploit the tools, the, all the social media platforms. So, is the solution feasible in your estimation?
0: Yeah, I, I I mean, that's a great point, right? There is a lot of educational content that is available. There are people making great, that have great YouTube channels um, that are education-based. I think you hit on it, though. I think that distinction is those aren't necessarily the channels or the the creators that some of the newer entrants see at first or even know what to look for or know what to search for to, to get educated. Um, and, and I don't know that's the thing is is it feasible yes i think it's still feasible because um it doesn't have to be on day one it, it's more like how can we help people understand that there is more to to learn and then get them in that direction where they can find those additional um resources to learn um but yeah i mean i think i think you're right you know there's there's a reason you know and some of those people are are entertaining and and to some extent that's what people are looking for, you know, first too is, is to be entertained. And so, um, like I said, when we started, I don't know the full, (laughs) the full answer on, on how to make that happen. I just, I, I, I hoped though to be able to find a way that we can connect more of these folks with those resources that are available when they get to that point where they want to, um, learn a bit more about the history of the hobby, some, some good ways to approach collecting, um, some alternate ways to approach collecting that type of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, I think, you know, to me, new entrants hopefully find content that resonates with them. Hopefully they, they search harder and they don't just, you know, only watch one content creator, whether it be the first one they find or, or anybody else get a rounded sort of spectrum of, of, thoughts and theories and uh, just ideas experiences for the hobby I think that's uh, that's what what hopefully that's what what new entrants are doing but can't really speak much more uh, to it to much more on that because I don't really know what what people how people are entering the hobby uh, we're gonna wrap we're gonna wrap up here right away I'll go to some more comments that have come in Mike and then we'll get final and I'll ask the chat guys get your final comments in tell Mike how much you've enjoyed him on the show here and uh, we'll get through those. And then we'll get Mike's final comments and we will wrap. We will wrap up. I want to say hello to Chad Shipper late to the party. Can't wait to replay the show tomorrow. Chad, thanks for dropping in. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, Michael here says, I can't help singing wax pack hero in my head. Like jukebox hero. Yeah, I, <laughs> I get that uh, for sure. T dot says the current bid on the Gretzky 1979. Peachy unopened case of 16 boxes with 48 packs each. I'm, 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 Uh, paraphrasing a little bit here, uh, is it $2.58 million Canadian on Heritage right now, which I did the math that works out to $3,255 approximately per pack. Chris C says, in my opinion, no reason why hyped rookies should be worth more than Hall of Famers. I can get mint Tim Duncan rookies cheaper than Victor Wembanyama. And Chris, 100% agree with you. It's that instant gratification. What have you done for me lately? It's the way society is right now, the way the hobby is right now. I'm with you. It makes no sense, except that these guys are who are on highlights every night right now. So it's all I can say. It's the only thing that makes sense to me, but it does not make sense to me uh, that that's where things are at. Uh, Mark Santucci, where would it go here? Mark Santucci, it just jumped around on me here. Well, he, first of all, he says five out of five stars on the show. Thank you, Mark. Bob Boozle says Mike is thoughtful, hardworking dude. Makes me, makes me look back, look bad. Eric Stefano, awesome show. Thank you very much, Eric. Appreciate that. Mark Santucci says all of my guys do videos on ways to buy cards for your interest, education, like what Mike said. Yes, Jeremy, you're right about uh, about others. Thank you, Mark Santucci. Uh, Brett says, new entrants to the hobby can sometimes see the shiny, expensive car and all of a sudden have unrealistic expectations. I appreciate a good grassroots conversation with newbies. Yeah, that's that's well said. A grassroots conversation. You just got to get them to listen to it and to get into the, the conversation. Foul Fireball. Good seeing Mike again. Good show. Thank you, Foul Fireball. TDA says, all markets are rational. Michael says, another great night on SCL. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you, Mike. Thank you, Michael for joining. Apologies for the comments that I missed tonight. Mike Summer. final comments over to you. And then we're going to wrap this
0: thing up. Well, I just wanted to say thanks for for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I love getting a chance to talk through the hobby and and the opportunity to go two hours and and get into some of these um, topics a little bit deeper and have some back and forth. Um, It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for, for coming
1: on. This went, this two hours went by super fast for me. Absolutely. Brett says, fantastic episode. Love the conversation and the thoughts from both of you. Big jolt of hobby energy. Well, that's great. Peace out, hobby champs. Craig's cards. Thank you so much. Chris C. Thank you. He says, no, not all markets are rational. I gave an example. Why? Duncan versus Wembanyama. Yeah. Uh, they're not. You know what? efficient markets are rational the sports card hobby is not an efficient market it's quite as i think it's quite as simple as that uh but more to look into for sure thank you chris appreciate it all right guys that's gonna do it i will be back tomorrow night for the pwcc weekly hockey auction ending watch party and monday night for mc mondays live their focus auction thousand dollar items plus ending on their youtube store on their youtube platform that's a lot of fun tons of action Please, if you're available, join me tomorrow night and Monday night. But if not, everybody, have a great week ahead. Mike, thank you to you once again. You stay right there. Everybody else, again, have a great week. This episode of Sports Cards Live is now over.